Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field special, uh, another bonus edition. We're gonna eventually gonna have to start charging you for these or something because we're doing a bunch of these. Um, there is some, I would say, pretty urgent news in college football uh, coming out today, uh, as you're hearing this on Saturday, coming out yesterday, um, that we are going to talk to, I think, people a little bit more in tune than us two. Uh, Ryan and I both certainly have our our interest in this, but uh, Penn State's players are forming a, what is it, a, a college football players association? Is that the phrase? Yeah, a chapter of the College Football Players Association, which I believe was incorrectly described as a union at first by a Twitter account that seems to uh, report on unions. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it is it, it is a, definitely a players association uh, led by Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford, other members of the Alliance team. Um, as well, there was a follow-up report by ESPN writer uh, Dan Murphy, um, who it says Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren met with leaders of the Independent Players Association this week. The group has asked to begin a conversation with the conference about demands between revenue sharing. It says Warren has agreed to start that conversation. Um, some people are calling it a negotiation. I, we have, uh, like you said, Matt Brown joining us here from Extra Points to describe why. That's not quite correct, nor is a description of this as a union. Um, we'll also be talking to a union organizer here, Luke Ward, a friend of the show. Yep. Um, talking about kind of if and when it does move to the, the status of organized union, what that looks like, what public sector unions look like in the country right now in the process of forming a union. So uh, we have two interviews. I think you guys will like a lot. Um, just hang around and listen to those. All right. We're joined now by Matt Brown of uh, the Extra Points newsletter, longtime friend of the podcast. Um, I believe actually hired me at Land Grant Holy Land originally. Um, we're going to talk to him about today's, uh, I guess as you're listening to this, yesterday's news uh, regarding Penn State's players forming a, uh, an association of some sort, union-adjacent kind of thing, uh, as the rest of this episode will be. Matt, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, th- thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, interesting times, Matt. I, mean, I think we were all following the news going on with today's uh, College Football Players Association, their formation of a group at Penn State, and also uh, discussions that uh, Big Ten President Kevin Warren, other members of the uh, of, of the deciding factors, would kind of be meeting with them about a potential revenue sharing model. Um, Matt, if you don't mind, could you kind of give us your rundown of what you know about the situation and and uh, kind of just the the thirty thousand foot view? Sure. So what, what what I know right now is like the I think the very first tweet that introduced this concept to people on Friday afternoon was uh, I, I think was it came from a, a more perfect union and it said like hey uh, football players are unionizing at Penn State and now they're, they're wanting to talk about revenue sharing and that's a cool goal it's not what's happening right now um, mm-hmm. and, and incidentally the college the college football player uh, players association um, put out a press release on Wednesday that where the headline of the press release was literally we are not a union um, it's it's a the players association, and that's it's really important for people to understand that because it's different from a union in a couple of really important ways. For one, you don't have to be a college football player to be a, a member of the CFPA right now. You could be a high school athlete, you could be an ex football player, you can be a parent. Uh, you know, you, you can be someone that's not playing football at all. It's a very expansive definition. Obviously, a bunch of high schoolers. And a bunch of guys in the NFL can't collectively bargain and push for unionization, you know, push for healthcare benefits effectively for current athletes, uh, at least not in a union model. Um, there's also reason to believe that you legally can't make a union right now if you're a college football player because there's not legal uniformity on the idea that, that they're employees. The National Labor Relations Board says, yeah, we think they are, but somebody has to submit a complaint to us and we have to, and we have to go through that process. 
And the only people that have done that have been activists rather than current athletes. The appetite for going through that process for football players right now is not what it is for a couple of attorneys and, and, you know, and well-meaning people um, that don't have, that aren't playing football right now. They're, you know, they're, they're on the outside. I had a source at the Big Ten, and this has been confirmed to me through a couple other reporters, that to describe the conversations with Kevin Warren about revenue sharing right now as negotiations would not be accurate. Uh, and you guys might remember this, and some of your listeners probably do, back in 2020, you know, before the mm-hmm. big COVID season, we had a, a, a run of Athletes United groups. Uh, and the, the most prominent one was centered uh, in the Pac-12. It was led by, I believe the gentleman's name was Andrew Cooper, who was a runner at Berkeley. I think he transferred from Wazoo, or he started at Wazoo, started at Berkeley and went to Wazoo. And, and, and that group, you know, pushed for, uh, you know, s- some medical support and, and uh, guarantees before the season, but also at pushed for revenue sharing. It pushed for guarantees to not cut other sports out West. And they got a meeting with Larry Scott and they won nothing. And this happened in the big 10. And then, you know, arguably Ohio state athletes immediately undermined that effort by saying they didn't agree with those terms. And, and you saw kind of fissures everywhere. They had multiple commissioners had meetings, but because they weren't unions and they didn't have deep membership support, they weren't able to actually bargain. So I would look at this as, hey, this is important insofar as now there's another advocacy group that appears to have deeper membership than um, anything else that's been done with college athletes. And it's, it's great that they're having a conversation with the commissioner. Are we to anybody expect a press release saying, OK, the Big Ten is going to share two percent of that UCLA deal directly with athletes? No, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Sure, valid. I, I guess to you, do you view there being, um, do you view this being the start of a path towards something larger? Do you see the efforts of the College Football Players Association uh, expanding to kind of eventually include formal organizing and negotiation efforts like this? Is that a realistic expectation in the next several years? In the next several years, I, I do think it's possible. And, you know, in my conversations with people involved with this organization, part of this hinges on how big a membership can you actually get? Uh, you know, Jason Stahl, the, the director of the, of the organization, you know, had, had told me that uh, it's, it, it would be easier to, to kind of flip the switch and become a union if you've got 30,000 people on your listserv who are paying dues and are, and are really plugged into this world or 10,000 or you know, a, a, a mass movement. It's another thing if you're trying to rally people that don't know each other and aren't really plugged in at one school, which is ultimately what happened at Northwestern. So, you know, this could be the start of what could be a, a larger, you know, sign-up drive across major college football and other levels of football, which could lead to other things down the line if that's what their membership group wanted. There's also a potential for the law to change, right? There is, it's, it's interesting that this is happening at Penn State. Um, the Johnson v. NCAA case, which is, uh, which is uh, centered around multiple institutions in Pennsylvania, including Villanova and Bucknell, challenges the idea that athletes are not employees and that athletes should, in fact, be given minimum wage and workman's compensation. And if that case rules in the favor of the players and the, and the Supreme Court doesn't overrule it, well, then that changes the likelihood of unionization considerably. But that's all speculative. It could happen. It's not happening tomorrow. Um, and what happens in six years, I mean, a lot can be very different. I guess, how do you view, like, the organizational efforts so far, the College Football Players Association? I, I know it's kind of hard to kind of get public numbers on, on uh, 
figures on this, but I mean, like, do you, are, are they active uh, across like, uh, like several FBS conferences? Is this, is this a group that is growing at any kind of particular rate? What do you, I guess, what do you know to that effort? I don't know how big it is right now. I do know that it's, it is bigger than just Penn State, right? Jason Saul was a former academic at the University of Minnesota, um, ultimately left his post after clashing with uh, the, the P.J. Fleck administration and, and, and the school there. But there are definitely people on that campus that are aware of him and aware of what's happening here. They have a board of directors and, uh, and individuals that have that are both alumni and active players at the places in the ACC um, and at some FCS schools. And this is, this is the big question. And I, I say this not because I want to shit on labor organizing. Um, I, I actually think this would be a net positive for the sport and certainly for athletes. But I think it's important for people in the cheap seats, people like me, to not be sunshine pumpers about this effort or to, to I think, to write unrealistically about it. Any mm. kind of, of significant change ultimately happens not because of me posting about it or a couple of people with tenure posting about it, it will come from mass movement from the people directly involved in the process. It's going to come from players. Players are the ones that have leverage if they organize and use it. I think what they, what the CFPA, CFPA is trying to do right now makes in many ways more sense than player activism strategies that are centered around legal confrontation and centered around a couple of outsiders rather than a mass movement of athletes. I don't know if this will ultimately be successful, there are, I mean, there are lots of reasons. I'm sure both of you know why labor organizing is really hard, not sure. impossible, just hard. Um, but th- I think this is the kind of strategy that would ultimately be effective, whether that's for, for securing revenue sharing, for securing better health benefits or securing, you know, maybe even informal bargaining to improve their, the athlete experience on a campus level. Does that make sense? Definitely, definitely. And uh, I know we do have plans to bring on actually uh, an Ask Me labor organizer shortly after this interview to kind of get some perspective on if and when things get to the point of a union drive, what that looks like, what the challenges are, particularly in potential public sector and kind of what that may look like. So we'll have some stuff on that coming uh, after a break a little bit here too, Matt. But I guess... I don't know. Do you think there are any other kind of important piece of information in regards to either this this membership drive situation in general that is important for an, an interested observer to know uh, going forward? Yeah, um, I, you you bring up an important point about the the, the public sector component. Um, sure. Unfortunately, American like labor law is not overly friendly to unions. And even if we got to a point where okay, college football players are empo- employees, well, you know, state law in say South Carolina. Is, is very hostile to public unionization. And so could somebody at Clemson actually do that? Um, would they change the law? I, I can tell you that among uh, labor advocates in D.C., and including some federal lawmakers, part of the desire to really push this issue and get college athletes unionized or pushing for this is the hope that it will free up organized labor to make other gains in other industries in places like Alabama and Texas and South Carolina where people might suddenly perceive unionization as a recruiting benefit. And Mm. I honestly don't think that that's terribly far-fetched knowing how important college football is in in some of these places, right? Speak the language uh, where people are and meet them where they are. I think the the other thing that's that's important at a high level to to realize, again, going back to labor organizing is hard. Labor organizing among a very young workforce and a very transient workforce is even harder and trying to organize yeah. among people that may not share similar goals or needs 
is the hardest. Like even at a place like say Ohio state, if you are a starter, if you are playing significant snaps for Ohio state football, you can very credibly expect to have a professional football career. Might not be a long one, but it, you know, if you're playing 45 snaps a game throughout your career on defense or something, you're going to get it. You're going to get a UFDA deal or a CFA deal at minimum. That's going to be a mm-hmm. lot of that roster. Not very many places are like Ohio state. And so at most of these schools, you're going to have a dozen people that could reasonably expect to play on Sundays or to play on whenever the CFL plays. I don't know. Um, Saturdays, maybe I'll let a bunch of other people that are going to be uh, and possibly buff dentists and are, are going to be have, are, are focused on, <laughs> on their, on their academic career that they're going to be focused on um, you know, different things. And I think we saw that with athletes United, right? I don't think it's an accident. There was Ohio state players that stepped out and said, Hey, we really trust the big 10. We think they have their best interest at heart. We really want to play because they thought they could win a national championship and they had 60 guys who thought that either next year or the year after they could play in the NFL. And that wasn't true at Rutgers or Maryland's or Michigan, you know, at, 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 for, for that year. That's going to be part of the challenge and not just signing everybody up, but then getting a mass movement to agree on policy because what makes, and we see this in pro athlete unions too, right? What makes sense for the superstars? What makes sense for the rank and, rank and file and what makes sense for the rookies might not be the same thing. So you're really kind of asking for some uncommon vision and leadership and self-confidence of a current college football player. Yeah, I might be 21 to really put this thing together. And that's certainly not impossible, but it's hard to find a Kurt Flood who's also good enough at college football to be relevant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What I am fascinated by now, especially as, as kind of, I know we often, especially in this podcast, kind of roll our eyes about the the advent of NIL and are kind of bored around a lot of the, the reporting around it, to be frank. But uh, I think of something as you do see players having formal relationships with agents and who are, you know, trying to yeah. get paid actively at the college level, um, the desire to have a revenue sharing component and the people who are working with them, as you said, like it's a transient workforce that comes and goes, but the agents likely will not, right? We'll likely have people here who are interested in getting paid as well, uh, who will be working with the same cohort of players for a long time. And I think that that's kind of interesting to me, how that could inform something. And it's obviously funny to imagine, you know, an agency advocating for a union, uh, but it is interesting that in the way that it lines their pockets of revenue sharing, how that could impact kind of um, advocacy and organization. I'm intrigued to think about it and kind of see what comes next. And I think it's going to be really interesting. But, you know, I think the lesson we should all be taking this, Matt, you know, is that as always, it is G5 football that has to lead the morality of this country, um, as we all know. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Many people are saying this, that as Colorado State football goes, so goes not just the country, but, but really our soul in, in many right. ways. But yeah. Well, there are I, those I, uh, you would, know, analyses yeah. that, you know, based on Colorado State's winning record, is kind of what decides the presidency, right? Is, is something I think you've done a study on. <laughs> I, I, I think I've heard this. You, you did actually mention something that I think is really important about agents. And it's funny because with with – a, a robust players association like we have in the NFL and with the NBA, it's easier for agents to stick around because there's a really strict uh, protocol for becoming a certified agent. Like you can't just be any Yahoo off the street and represent an NFL football player. You got to be NFLPA certified. That means you probably have to have a law degree or a graduate degree or extensive years of negotiating and representative experience. So a similar situation for the NFL or for the NBA. For college right now, there's literally no regulations whatsoever. You guys can beat college football player agents right now. 
And we um, are. That's yeah. not a joke. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's right. So when we're, when we're done here, you know, send me your card. I'll, I'll put you on extra points. But like, I've done some of these NIL deals, and I talked to people over the phone, and we're like, "Oh my God, you're 20! Like you're literally representing your dorm mate. You don't know anything about anything." And you know, that creates. Well, sure. Some, I mean, we have one deal. of our one of our former guests in the podcast here is a recently graduated Clemson player who is now like working with yeah. a. a, a a financial advisory firm on players NIL deals. Like we, like, and he you know, yeah. graduated uh, five months ago, right? <laughs> there are a, a lot of people doing this under 25, and some of them may be very good, but there's a, an absolute proliferation of people who have no idea what they're doing um, or are just you know the same runners and street agents or uncles. Um, now they just have a different business card. Mm-hmm. And I think a players association and not necessarily one that's a seed that has to be of a, has to be a formal union, but one that just has mass membership could then say, we won't recommend anybody represent any of our members without our stamp of approval. And that could make it easier for good agents to stick around for a long time and have more voice or policy in this world. Because you know, this is one of the major issues. I think you have a lot of people giving really bad self self-centered advice and there's nobody providing any kind of structure for the, the, the people helping athletes, which means that, I mean, it, it's nice that some people are getting the bag, but the, the, there are people getting bags that are absolutely not act, you know, operating in the best interest of heart. Happens a little bit less with the pros. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, Matt, uh, or Patrick, I guess, Patrick, do you have anything else you want to wrap up yeah, on before we let Matt do his uh, plugs and yeah. all that fun stuff? Yeah, I have one question real quick, Matt. I was just at uh, Mountain West Media Days, and I, I was asking, I talked to uh, Blake Anderson, the head coach at Utah State, about, I did not ask the question, but somebody asked a question about NIL and all this stuff, and Blake Anderson had a really, I think, kind of interesting answer about how he would support, he wants something more equitable, was the word he kept saying, and he kept saying sort of revenue sharing. He kept referencing that. And so I'm curious, is this something that you think would have like actually some support among coaches that maybe people don't think, or is, is that, uh, is Blake sort of unique in that front? Um, I think people might be surprised how many coaches would not only support revenue sharing, but would support a union or, or support a robust players association, particularly among coaches. I don't know if Tom, I don't think Blake Anderson has, but particularly among coaches that have spent time in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you spent time in the NFL and you recognize that, you know, a, a players association rep is going to be around your locker room. And this is just something you have to deal with. And not only does it not make the world fall apart, but it can be a mechanism to provide more order and, and solve locker room issues and let you focus more on ball. And what, one of the major frustrations that so many college coaches have, even at the Utah state or Wyoming level is there's a lot of outside forces that you don't get to control, whether that's boosters or community members or, or agents, I'm making air quotes here. Um, and now you have, um, you know, in, in other locker rooms, the NAL can, can create some other issues. Not in like someone's making more money than them necessarily, but um, in, in, in other, you know, other, other confusion. And so potentially being able to then look a recruit in the eye and their parents and say, if you come here, you are guaranteed 32% of the Mountain West television deal, which means you'll get blah, blah, blah. And as part of your participation in EA Sports College Football, that's $3,000 a year and a PlayStation and an X, Y, and Z. So you can have some, some cost certainty like you do in the NFL. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would support that. I mean, there's going to be Dabos. Yeah. And there's going to be Gary Patterson's and Urban Myers who are completely incapable of operating in this kind of world. But 
I think you, you folks might be surprised how many how many coaches would be willing to give up some of that autonomy in exchange for security and certainty to let them focus on the stuff they actually want to be doing, which is four three defenses. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, yeah. think, I think that's all we have for you. So do it. Go ahead and uh, and 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 do your plugs, and we'll uh, we'll get you out of here. <laughs> Hey, you bet. Friends, I write Extra Points, which is a newsletter that covers everything off the field in college athletics, from the intersections of, of labor law and antitrust to name, image, and likeness, sponsorships, how schools get money, realignment, and increasingly the EA Sports College football video game. I do that with original reporting, uh, analysis, and commentary, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com uh, or me on Twitter at MattBrownEP. Yeah, guys, please follow Matt. I mean, genuinely, I know we talk a lot in this podcast about uh, the smarter side of college football coverage, and I feel like Matt makes me a smarter college football fan and and media member and, and all those things uh, every time I read them, and it is genuinely fantastic stuff. I cannot recommend it highly enough. You guys, uh, if you don't already subscribe, which I'm sure there's a lot of overlap in, in our listener base and your readership, uh, please do so. Yeah, yeah, flipping the field stamp <laughs> so, of approval thank, for Thank sure. you very much. That that is the that is the intent. I'm I'm trying so hard. Not to make this shit boring or talk down to anybody, <laughs> but it's just these are the kind of things that help become. Oh, no, our uh, fans deserve you know, it. You should be talking down to our. Good. Yeah, they, you should be talking down to our gremlin little fans. <laughs> you should be talking down to them as much as you can. That's Only all, ours, though. That's all we do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Matt, thank uh, gentlemen, th- 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 thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Matt. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. I'm getting money. I'm getting money. All right, guys, we are joined today by Luke Ward, a union organizer, who's going to talk to us a little bit about what you heard from Matt Brown, kind of what expectations are for the College Football Players Association, if they do make a unionization push, what that process looks like. Um, Luke, uh, tell people about kind of uh, what you do and also what is your astrological sign? Lead with that first. (laughs) Are you going to talk in your fucking podcast voice this whole time? I've like never talked to you. Don't, don't, don't. I, you're talking in your podcast voice. Talk like a normal person. This isn't how you sound. You don't come on my podcast talking about my voice, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you live. I'll say it on the podcast. We'll publish it right now. Bring them. <laughs> Everyone can come to the Victorian Village Palace. Um, what's okay, your, first yeah. off, answer the question. What's your astrological sign? How tall are you? I don't know. My birthday is kind of close to yours. So I think a Taurus Okay. Oh, I clarify, I'm not a Taurus. I'm a Gemini, but okay. you are a Taurus. Okay, well, okay, well, we're built different then. Um, uh, I'm tall. Yeah. I can but what's your that. Twitter handle? Oh, I thought you said, how tall are you? Yeah, I did ask you that. How, what, what's your Twitter uh, handle? At, at real Luke underscore Ward. Are you single? Follow- <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually dating your mom. God damn it. Uh... <laughs> Look, if you're one of the 12 female listeners to this podcast, follow at Real Luke underscore Ward in the Victoria Village Palace. Uh, Luke, tell us a bit about the fucking unions, dude. What do you do for a union? What's your, what's your job? So I'm an organizer uh, for Ask Me uh, Council 8 in Ohio. Uh, and my job is basically working with employees who are being treated like crap or have an issue at work. And uh, I work with them to go through the process of organizing a union. Uh, so I'm real popular with managers. Oh, yeah. So I know you read a bit about and kind of talked to us a bit about um, this potential of a college football players association union drive uh, coming, maybe not immediately overnight, but in the next few years. Um, I, I guess in general, have you seen any kind of like 
do you have any examples in the past? And maybe the answer is no, I didn't prep you for this of, uh, of like professional organizations or membership groups trying to make a union drive over time after kind of starting as an affiliation like this. So, so um, I, I, I have a loose example uh, that kind of comes to mind. Uh, a few years ago, I was, uh, I worked with uh, employees at Ohio university, former union, and there's about 400 of them and they had an existing uh, advisory body called faculty senate or excuse me uh, classified senate and they it was like an advocacy body but they didn't really have any binding power so uh, the way to think about it is like a union gets you to the table you have a seat at the table the ability to advocate for yourselves on the job for terms and conditions of employment things like that the faculty senate or excuse me again classified senate it's like you have a seat at the kids table uh, because when serious decisions are made, uh, the bosses will tell you to get out and, you know, you can make all these recommendations and, you know, we'd like to see X, Y, and Z happen, but uh, they don't have to take anything that you say and put it into action, uh, which I wrote reading a little bit about what they're talking about with this players association with the college football players in the big 10. That's a little bit of a concern for me. Like I saw Kevin Warren saying something, Kevin Warren like met with them and he's open to discussing it. Well, that's all fine and good, but uh, you know, that's the bare minimum. Yeah. We just, you obviously get a chance to hear it, but we talked to Matt Brown just before you and he, he kind of told us that basically there any report characterized as a negotiation. It's just wrong. It's not, it's a, it's, it's not a negotiation at all. Also speaking of the kids table, do you sit at the big boys table yet at Thanksgiving? Are you still at the kids table? What, what do you do? Well, considering you usually have Thanksgiving at my house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay. Anyway, so uh, beyond that, you mentioned you had an Ohio University, which is kind of a good transition point for us. Um, there's been a lot of kind of discussion of like what the labor movement and public sector unions look like right now. Uh, obviously, the first challenge for uh, cultural players is being classified as employees. They still aren't with the NLRB. Um, if they were to do so, if they were to become classified as employees and were to make a union drive, what is the process of organizing a public sector union look like right now, and how has that changed with recent court rulings? So it, it varies by state because public sector unions, public sector collective bargaining laws are governed state by state. It's not a federal issue. So uh, I'll use Ohio because I'm in Ohio. Ohio has uh, chapter 4117 of the Ohio revised code is the collective bargaining act in Ohio. So it has different rules than like, like the Penn state players are the ones I'm guessing it has somewhat different rules than what the Pennsylvania version of that board has. So as far as the process here in Ohio, I can only speak to it's, uh, you know, we start the process by meeting with a small group of people and it's uh, a small, in this case, let's say a small group of players get together. They want to form a union. Well, then they need to build out their support from there. They need to form an organizing committee and uh, use that committee to go out and talk to the rest of their players on their given team or the other players in the conference if it gets to that level and just build relationships with their uh with coworkers, try to build support that way just relational organizing is really what it is and once you reach a certain level of support a, a super majority is like what our union aims for uh and then some then we're gonna then we drop union cards and then the employees have to sign showing of interest cards we file for an election or recognition with the state employment relations board and then the uh, board orders an election. 
it's a vote, it's a simple majority wins, uh, assuming the, the employer doesn't recognize. The employer can voluntarily recognize the union. Got it. So it, I know we've seen like a lot of large national union drives lately, different kind of things with, of course, the Amazon and Starbucks unions have been in the news a lot uh, recently. Um, with a public sector union kind of going state by state like this, Honestly, do you, I mean, how do you view that campaign shaping up? How would that look? Would it be kind of on all fronts at one time? Would it be piece by piece? Like, what would your expectations for something like this looking like in reality be? Yeah, this is, I was kind of thinking about this. I, it, it's really unclear how this would take shape because the question is, who's the employer here? Is it the conference or is it the individual institution? Because that raises different questions. Because if Kevin Warren is in theory open to discussing this with Penn State, then it should be in it should be probably bargained a collective bargaining agreement for everyone in a conference or everyone in the NCAA. And, but the trick is with the public sector distinction and different laws in different states, some states you can bargain over retirement and healthcare, some states you can't. So what you, so an example I'll use here, what you could have is like a master contract with, again, either the big 10 or the NCAA and the, way to think about it is like in the state of Ohio, we have the st uh, state employees belong to the Ohio Civil Service Employment Association. It's a uh, AFSCME affiliate. And they have a master contract for all of them. And then like, so every state employment gets a 5% raise in theory. So every Big Ten player gets a 5% cut of the revenue. It never would be that high, but. Um, and then each individual department has to bargain over things specific to them outside. So the master agreement covers everyone. And then you have mm -hmm. these little things uh, individually. So like the department of taxation and ODOT are going to have different things. So they fall under that master agreement, but they're going to have to bargain over specific things for their own jobs. That's, that's the model that probably makes the most sense is like, or you can do another way that you could do it is like pattern bargaining where you have a bunch of individual contracts but it's agreed upon that you're bargaining all the contracts the same. Now, management has to agree to that, which I'm guessing it'd be in the Big Ten's best interest not to have 16 different contracts when the California schools join. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, I got to assume this is like your fucking dream job. Yeah, like, I mean, you got to crack at this thing. If, if uh, Buckeyes are trying to organize, you got a shot at uh, running this campaign. I, it's funny you say that. I when you because I hadn't heard anything about this, you called me today and asked me about it. Uh, me and my coworker were like, "Should we go?" Post you don't. You don't have my number. You don't have my number. Oh yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we were like, "Should we go post up at the Woody and like just drop our business cards to like uh, players leaving?" Uh, so you got yeah, you got to put them. Um, you got to put like a, a campus park ticket. Then like fine, you put your card right beneath it. But we can get these gone for you. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the strategy. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in general, um, the formation of players unions in different sports, let's say MLB or, or NBA, of course, like I know we've seen varying strengths of these unions at different kind of like uh, leagues. The NFL is like a fairly weak one compared to the MLB where like, I think the influence of, of minor league players uh, being a member of the MLB union kind of, even though they don't really win many rights, still does change the way they view kind of MLB bargaining. Um, what would you expect? I know this is just purely speculative, but what would you think kind of the strength of a player's union in college football would look like compared to other major athletic unions? Well, I, I mean, I think the strongest athletic union is probably the NBA PA. Um, they probably have the best deal, I would say, best collective bargaining agreement as far as weighted towards the players. 
Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It's tricky with uh, college football players because it, they're in college for such short time. They would be such short term employees. So you would have to have a constant churn, a constant really organizing committee on each team to make sure when freshmen are coming in, like, hey, we're part of the union. We take pride in this. You know, we're doing this to ensure the guys who come after us get better treatment. So as term in terms of its overall strength, it's really dependent on the players in uh, who are driving it. You know, this has to be, uh, it, you have to have felt solidarity, really. I mean, you, you're gonna have to feel this and it has to be part of like just the culture of being a college football player. And that will take time. Something we talked about, and I don't know how realistic it is, but just we, we bounced it off of Matt, is the idea that something that really fascinated me is obviously for many, many years, it's been illegal to have agents or any kind of like persistent contact outside of college football. Um, but you now do have agents working NIL deals for players and like they are self-interested even if, if for, for purely selfish reasons and getting getting players more money so they get more money. And I do wonder if like having agencies that are now cropping up to work specifically on NIL deals with college football players would be almost like a private sector union organizing at some extent because these agents want to get more money for their players and how that would influence kind of a, a kind of relationships like that, that you have, you know, uh, John Smith, works for the senior and the freshman player working negotiating deals for both in Oxford, Mississippi. And he wants to come to the SEC revenue. So what does that look like for him to get these deals for this player side? And how does that impact things? It's kind of interesting to me too. Um, it's just, just an idea I've been bouncing around my head. Yeah. I think the trick with that is you get a bunch of individual agents and you're not, you don't have a singular interest then, which is really the strength of any good union is uh, overall workplace solidarity. So in theory, like an overall, NCAA players union you yeah. know talking if you have a bunch of agents then you're you know our interest for the players I'm representing and that could cause issues between the players in the union and the last that's the last thing you want to do is have players kind of like butting heads against each other I thought Matt Brown brought something really interesting that I thought was fascinating that applies to like basically the SEC and Ohio uh the idea that uh, there are some unions that maybe want to tie college football organizing to laws around larger public sector organizing and larger organizing around the rest of the country because fans will support college football players having a union, which then opens the door for laws allowing other public sector employees to have a union. And it might be a nice little Trojan horse to actually good union organizing, which would be nice for you guys. So, so I'm sure you're ready for that. I hadn't even thought of that. That's actually a really good point. This is how you get collective bargaining laws enshrined in like Mississippi. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's finally time for it. Um, well, Luke, I think that's all I had to ask you. Patrick, do you have anything else in your mind you want to bounce off of him? Not that I, not that I know of. We'll have to talk to, uh, we'll have to get DJ on sometime and talk to him about how we whip the uh, the members of r slash sewer, the r dash sewer, into <laughs> voting for this so that we can make it happen in uh, in Ohio. Because I think that he's the only man who can do it. That's right. Uh, Luke, you want to plug anything? I know you, I know you got your Twitter handle at real Luke underscore ward. Again, if you are a single woman following the podcast, please follow Luke. Uh, <laughs> is there uh, any other, anything else you want to plug? Uh, just, uh, I guess if you live in Ohio and uh, you're a worker being treated like shit at work and you don't have a union, uh, you can email me and we can talk about it. Uh, it's L at L ward at AFSCME, A-F-S-C-M-E 8.org. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Luke. We appreciate you. And I'm sure as this stuff develops, we'll probably hear from you again.